Jesus spoke about money more than heaven, hell, or prayer. In this series, we'll take a look at several of the things he said about money and how they apply to our life today. Because we're in a series that is very important to us, we're talking about some things Jesus said about money. It turns out that Jesus talked about money and material things more than he did heaven, hell, or prayer. And so we're just looking at some of the statements he made and responding. And say, what are, what are we going to do with these? How are we going to change our lives? If you've missed any of this series, the good news, it's online or on our app because today is actually part three. And, and I do want to tell you, I got an extraordinarily weird amount of positive feedback after last week's message. And maybe part of it is because when I talk about money, I don't usually get a whole lot of people giving me positive feedback at all. Uh, For the record, you know, it's kind of like going to a party and talking about politics. That doesn't always go well. But with that being said, I got a lot of feedback. And I think the reason is because it finally set us free in something. It, It encouraged us in the right way. Last week, we looked at the statement where Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And we went on a little heart journey over like 30 minutes because we all began the message. I even asked you, like, how many of you would rather walk across the room and give someone $1,000? Or how many of you'd like to stay in your seat and have one of those people bring it to you? And most of us opted for, I'm going to sit right here, bring it on, you know? Because the reality is we would love to receive. But what we did is we, we looked at why Jesus said that. We looked at what scripture tells us will actually be the blessings in our lives when we give. And we discovered one of those gives us purpose in a way that nothing else does. Matter of fact, maybe you've been to church before and you've had someone talk to you about why you should be generous. You should be generous. And you just go away and think, oh, I should be more generous. I'm a bad person. But what we discovered last week is motivation for being generous because we answered the question, how does a spiritual God in heaven answer the prayers of natural people down upon the earth? And it's through his people upon the earth. What that means is we become incredibly valuable to the process of revealing God's goodness to this world. Because when someone prays and when someone needs God to show up, he shows up through his people. We're the ones that reveal the goodness of God upon the earth. Here's another way to say it. I love this. We make an invisible God visible to a hurting world. And that got a lot of us really motivated to say, you know what? I think I can do that. I think I can be part of an answer to prayer. I can be a part of what God is doing. I would love for people to to look at something I did for them and to say, praise God. So I got a lot of people saying, I love that message. That was great. And uh, what I want to say as we start today's message is I'm really glad y'all love last week's message. (laughs) I'm glad y'all got that. You see, today's message is going to be a little more challenging. We're going to look at something else Jesus said. And and I think the primary reason that today's message will be more challenging than last week's is because when we talked about being generous, you got to do it totally on your own terms. Whatever it was, I I said, if if you want to give $10 or $100 or your whole life, whatever it is, you get to decide. So you get to walk through the grocery store. You get to decide to be generous to that single mom. You get to hear about the youth going to camp and say, I want to pay for one kid or 100 kids to go to camp. You get to decide how you want to do it. You define the terms. Today's message, we're going to find out there is something that God wants us to do with our finances where he defines the terms. They've been defined for thousands of years, and then Jesus went and affirmed it. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the very simple statement Jesus made when he said, you should tithe. Yes, yes, you should tithe. And I'm just going to pause right there and do a timeout before anybody gets up and pretends they're going to the bathroom, before anybody logs off online. Anytime that I teach on tithing, I I always begin with an apology because I know that many of you have experienced some negative 
uh, teachings on finances in the church world. Uh, matter of fact, we have a reputation that the church just wants your money. How did it get that reputation? Well, because maybe you've had some leaders who were not good stewards of, of money and you watched that happen. Or maybe you had someone teach in a very manipulative way that you felt pressured to do something that didn't line up with scripture. I've heard stories of people passing the offering buckets four times in one service because they would keep counting it and saying that's not enough. And then the preacher would convict people if that's the word you wanna to try to use on how they should dig deeper. And so the reality is I know that some of you have had a hurtful experience in church related to finance. So I want to begin by saying I'm sorry on behalf of church leaders who have not been the stewards that God called them to be or true preachers of the word that God has called them to be. Uh, that's, that's just the best I can do. I can't erase anything that's happened. But what I do want to do is hopefully either bring clarity for some of us that say I've never heard some of this or healing for some of us who have been through certain things. Because here's the reality. The reason that I would still teach on something that some of you have maybe had taught in a negative way is because there is a truth. And that is that we cannot separate our faith from our finances. You just can't do it. And so I think it's important to make sure that we teach on how faith fits in our finances in a correct and godly way. And that is gonna be my, my best hope for us today. So with that being said, let's get back to the statement Jesus made, even if we don't particularly love that statement. Jesus said, yes, you should tithe. And the first thing that I want to point out every time I say, hey, follow along with me in your Bibles, many of you do, and this would be a great time for you to look at your Bible and see what it says right there because we're in Luke eleven forty two, 42, and many people would look down at their Bible right now and say, Jimmy, that's not in my Bible. You may not see it there. And here's the reason for that. Do you know that we actually have more English versions of the Bible than any other language upon the earth? The truth is there are languages and cultures, they don't even have scripture, any of it in their language. And we have so many versions, we get to fight over which one our favorite is and have people say, well, that one's no good, you can't read that one. Well, you know one of the things that separates all of our English versions is simply reading level. It really comes down to that. It comes down to what grade level is this written for? Because we want to make sure that if someone wants to follow Jesus as early as middle school, elementary school, that they can begin to read the Bible and understand it. So the version that I just showed you makes it very, very obvious. It's actually written on a fifth or sixth grade reading level. And the ones that most of us read, if you look down at your Bible and you didn't see those words, it is because yours is written on a high school reading level. Most of the versions we read, that's where it is. And so you see something like this when you look at it. It says, but woe to you Pharisees. And we go, well, I'm in high school, but I'm still not a history major. Who are those people? For you tithe mint and rue and every herb, I still don't know what rue is, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And nowhere in there did you see, yes, you should tithe. And, and so here's what we have to imagine. Imagine yourself in your sophomore English class. Okay, some of you are going to get PTSD, just try to hold on. <laughs> sophomore English class, the teacher writes this sentence, this, this scripture up on the board, and says, now I'd like you to go to the board after she underlines these you ought to have done. And says, I, I need you to draw an arrow and show me what this is talking about. <laughs> Some of you are going, <gasps> diagramming sentences and misplaced modifiers. I'm having bad nightmares. All right, all right. But, but here's what's got to happen. We've got to realize what that arrow is talking about is the, you tithe. Even from your herbs. These you ought to have done. And he goes on to say, without neglecting the others, which those you would draw an arrow to the justice and love of God. Let me explain what Jesus was actually doing. 
He was rebuking the religious leaders of the day. The Pharisees were a, a group of people that tried to claim they were better than everyone else by how they followed God. They claimed they were the best God followers, which given the pride seems they were already out at strike one. But back to the point, what they would want to do is they would want to show up at the temple with something they could visibly show everybody. And that is how much money or even mint leaves from their garden was in their hand. And they guys said, look, I'm tithing better than you because I'm a better follower of God than you are. Look at this, look how many mint leaves I got. Look at my rue, whatever that is. Look at my herbs, you know, look, what everything right here. Look at, look at my gold coins, I'm doing more than you. But this is true, what they would actually do is ignore the hurting people in the street. They would actually step over a beggar who was laying at the door of where they worshiped. They would ignore that person, step over the person to go in and say, I'm better than you. And so Jesus is literally saying, seriously? You guys wanna come in here and try to show off and compete with each other by how much money you're, you're trying to make and you just stepped over someone who needs your help. Don't you understand you're supposed to be the people who bring the love of God to the earth? You're supposed to be the one who brings the blessing. And so Jesus is rebuking these leaders and, and these religious people for how they are getting something wrong. But a lot of people, there are two things we need to consider because a lot of people will try to push back and say, well, since Jesus was talking about the love of God and justice and how they were getting that wrong, he didn't really mean that whole, yes, you should tithe. He didn't really mean that part. And matter of fact, he just said it in passing because that wasn't what his sermon was about. I want us to consider two things about would Jesus do that? And the first one is something else Jesus said. He said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. When I read that, I think that means Jesus would not say careless words. I don't believe Jesus would say anything in passing that he didn't actually mean, whether it was the primary topic of a sermon or a secondary topic. I, don't, I just don't see Jesus as just throwing something away because he knew he would have to answer for those words. And, and so if Jesus is going to tell us, yes, you should tithe without neglecting justice and the love of God, you know, I think he actually meant, yes, you should tithe without <laughs> neglecting justice and the love of God. I think he said exactly what he meant. The second thing that people would want to think about because I hear people try to push back and, and say, well, you know, Jimmy, here's the issue. Um, that was an Old Testament teaching and, and people, well, they, we just don't have to worry about that today. We, we misunderstand that. Let's look at Jesus again. If you ever read the gospels, what you will see is that Jesus repeatedly, time and time and time, again and again and again, corrected their misunderstanding of the Old Testament teachings. Everything that they thought was a rule from God or how to worship God that they were getting wrong, he would keep correcting everything from the Old Testament. Started with this, in the Old Testament, they had been given permission to divorce basically on any grounds. It had reached such a bad point when Jesus was upon the earth, that they would literally write a certificate of divorce if you didn't cook dinner well. I mean, like you could just write down, you burn the lamb, you could write her a certificate of divorce, you could send her away. You didn't even have to go to court, you didn't have to see a judge, the man could just throw the woman out anytime he wasn't happy with her. Oh my goodness, y'all can imagine the state of marriage back then. And, and they confronted Jesus, well, can't we just do this? And he said, well, you're right, it's in the law, but it's in the law because y'all got hard hearts and you put it there. But it's not what my father intended for you ever. So then they came and they dragged an adulterous woman and said, well, it's in the law, it's in the Old Testament that we're supposed, we're supposed to stone someone who commits adultery. And Jesus says, well, you did read that right. But uh, let's get my father's heart. How about the one of you without sin, 
you throw the first rock. And, and I forgot my whole, whole third point here. Oh, there you go. Uh, where they tried to, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> where they tried to confront Jesus on honoring the Sabbath because he healed someone on the Sabbath. They said, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. You're supposed to honor the Sabbath. And that's what the Old Testament tells us. And he says, yeah, the Old Testament says to honor the Sabbath, but my father's heart is to bring life, not death on the Sabbath. So I'm pretty sure I got that one right. And I could keep going. The stories go on and on and on how he kept correcting people for their misunderstandings of how to follow the Old Testament. And Jesus never once confronted or corrected any misunderstanding about honoring God with tithing. Never. Matter of fact, he affirmed it. And I'm going to take it one step further. I think it would have been disingenuous and even misleading for Jesus to say the words, these you ought to have done. Yes, you should tithe. And then turn around and say, obey my commands and abide in my words. I, I, don't, I don't think Jesus said a single word he didn't mean. Now, with that being said, we're going to take that and we're going to set that aside for a minute. Because one of the coolest things I get to do here at Grace Life is I get to meet people in the lobby. And almost every week, I meet someone who has never been to church before. And that is so cool because they ask questions I would have never thought of. You know, when we go to church every single week, we just all kind of have the same kind of thinking. And I love when I hear somebody tell me something that I would have never thought of because I've, I've been to church a little bit lately. It kind of goes with the job description. And so I, I, I like to just think like, what is someone thinking if they've never been to church before. So what I'd like to do at this moment is explain this whole idea as though you've never heard it before, as though the person that is sitting beside you has never been to church before. And if you are one of those people, then great. I think this is gonna help you a lot. So we're gonna start with the first question you may ask, and that is, what is that word that man keeps saying? That, that tithing, tithe, what, what is that? I've never even heard that. And you're right, you're not gonna hear that outside of church. Because most people would say, well, that's a fancy church word. And I would say, no, it's not. It's not a church word at all. It's actually a math word. It's just an older math word from a language that the Bible uses, so it's not one that we use very often. So let me give you an illustration I brought with me today, one of our coins, and uh, they're gonna try to show this to you, um, but we experimented with the cameras and decided uh, we can only get so close to this coin without you getting unreasonably close to my face in a way that none of us want to do. Because um, <laughs> you just don't need to know me that well. Uh, but anyway. So this is a coin that we have in America with George Washington's face on it that's worth 25 cents. Therefore, everyone knows that this is a quarter. There you go. Everyone knows the word, the term. Here's the thing. The word quarter does not in any way mean 25. If you go to the store and say, I would like a quarter apples, they're not going to give you 25 apples. It doesn't work that way. You see, the word quarter is a fraction, a very definite, non-negotiable Fraction. It's a math term that never changes. And we call that a quarter because it is one-fourth, that's what it means, of a dollar. So this word tithe is not a church word, it's a math word. And it actually comes from the Hebrew language that means one-tenth. Not negotiable, not round up, not round down, an exact one-tenth. And, and they would have used that word in every setting just like you and I would use the word quarter. You may walk up to someone and says, man, that looks like a delicious apple pie, I want a quarter of that pie. And today, maybe someone would walk to, to you and say, can I have a quarter of your pizza? And years ago, 2,000, 3,000 years ago, you would have heard a Hebrew man saying, can I have a, a tithe of your olives? Now, probably somebody would look at him and go, you want a tithe of my olives? You think you're getting one out of every 10 of my olives? I mean, dude, I love my olives and not you, so that ain't happening, you know? 
And someone today can have a quarter of your pizza. Um, no, I'll give you half a slice at best, but I like my pizza and I don't like you that much. You're not getting a quarter of it, dude. Here's the point. These are very definite words. They are fractions, they are non-negotiable, and they make sense in their culture. The only reason we sometimes think the word tithe is a word we get to define and make up is because we don't speak Hebrew. But I've now removed that excuse from every single one of us. And so the word tithe means one-tenth. And what we're talking about is the worship practice of giving God the first one-tenth of everything he gives us. And now if you're new to church, you go, uh, excuse me, why? Thanks for asking. And the answer is in scripture, it tells us very simply, honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your produce. As you'll see today, most of these scriptures will be written in what I like to call farmer language. And the reason for that is because there were no computer programmers or IT technicians or COOs 3,000 years ago. It was written in the language they understood. They were shepherds, they were farmers, it's what they did. But that doesn't change what God is saying. What God is saying is honor me because I'm the one that gives you the ability to work that job. I'm the one that gives you the strength. I'm the one that gives you the intelligence. I'm the one that gives you the skill. If you go to work every day and you earn something, I'm the one that made that possible. You're healthy because I made that possible. You're smart because I made that possible. And we're all smart in different ways, right? I mean, there are people in here who are like accountants and they enjoy their jobs. Others of us, like two plus two, we start sweating, you know? I mean, we're just all kind of different. And there are other people that like, they can go and play football and make millions of dollars and well, and then there are people that need to talk for a living, you know? I mean, we're just all different. We've been given different skills. And God says, but I gave you that skill and I gave you the health and I gave you everything. So what I want you to do is every time you receive an increase, I want you to acknowledge and remember that I am the root cause of every blessing in your life. I am the source. And so that's why God says something really strong that we don't like. He says, so when you tithe, you don't give me anything. When you tithe, it is not a gift from you because it ain't yours. Check this out. The Bible says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, again, farmer language, belongs to the Lord and it is holy to the Lord. I underline three things in there because there are three things we need to see. The first one is God says a full tenth of everything, a tithe of everything. That's a full tenth of everything, not a full tenth of some things. A full tenth of everything that you get from whatever source your provision comes from. Then he says belongs to the Lord. It's already his. And this is really important for us to understand. If you see those all capital letters there, L-O-R-D, anytime you're ever reading your Bible and you see the word Lord in all capital letters, it does not mean master. It does not mean God. It does not mean spiritual being in heaven. Whenever you see it in all capital letters, it actually means God's name, Yahweh. And this was a big deal because what happened when God's people were upon the earth thousands of years ago, they were surrounded by foreign nations that had other ideas of gods. They would worship the God of the sky or the God of the sun or the God of the land or the God of the cows or whatever they came up with. And God said, look, I don't need you confused about who I am or what I am. I'm gonna give you a name that relates to me because I'm gonna be a personal God for you. I want you to know, and he began to reveal himself, I am gracious and slow to anger abounding in steadfast love, forgiving your sins. And my name is Yahweh. I have a name because I created you to be my people, to have a personal relationship with you. I'm not some nameless, faceless entity up in heaven that I want you worshiping in another nation. No, 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 I am your God. I am Yahweh. So he's got a name because he has a relationship with his people. 
And so what God says right here is a tenth of everything belongs to me, Yahweh. Doesn't belong to anybody else, doesn't belong to you. It, it belongs to me, it's got my name on it. Like I'm, I'm gonna let out a little secret if I ever get robbed at y'all's fault. But here's the deal, I don't preach with my wallet in my pocket. So anytime I'm up here preaching, my wallet is in my office. There you go, so y'all could go and steal something. Uh, but anyway, here's the point. If you were to go to my office right now and get my wallet, you cannot say, I found some money. Because on the outside of my wallet is my driver's license with a name and a picture. You cannot say, I found a wallet. You can say, I found Jimmy's money. You can say, I found Jimmy's wallet. You could steal Jimmy's money if you wanted to. And I don't know that anybody will stop you. But you cannot say, I found money. It's got a name on it. And God is saying that a tenth of everything that he has provided for you. A tenth of everything that you have has his name on it, which leads to the third point. We underline the word holy. Too often in church, we think the word holy means pure because we say God is holy. What it really means is set apart, removed from everything else. That's what that word actually means. And maybe God is set apart because he's pure, but the word means set apart. So what God is actually saying in this passage, three things we need to know. First of all, one-tenth of everything you have belongs not to you to give him, it belongs to him, period. His name is on it, and it should be set apart. And for them back in the old days when they got paid every day, they would literally take coins. Those go there. When I go to the temple, got to take that to God. Here are my coins to spend. We have to use budget apps and other things, but we still achieve the same purpose. So the tithe is first and foremost about one very simple thing, honoring God. We honor him as our provider every time that he takes care of us. Matter of fact, the most significant teaching in all of the Bible on tithing begins like this. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I then am a father, where is my honor? This is the beginning of the book of Malachi. It's the last book in the Old Testament. And because it has the best teaching on tithing, we use that. But some people like to say, well, but that's in the Old Testament. Just hold that thought. You see, the whole book of Malachi is actually not about money. The whole book of Malachi is about one thing, honor, honor for God. So the book actually begins talking about how the priests do not honor God. Chapter one, my priests have stopped honoring me. They cheat, they lie, and they don't teach the people what I expect from them. Goes to chapter two. And it says, married people don't honor me because they made a promise to each other and to me to be faithful, but they're not faithful to each other. They don't honor me in their marriage. And it gets to chapter three and says people don't honor me with their finances. They act like they do all this by themselves and I'm not even a God who provides for them. Now here's the funny thing with the way we read the Old Testament today. We would all look at this and go, you know that Malachi dude's onto something. Church leaders should be godly and they should tell us the right stuff and they shouldn't be cheaters. Yeah, come on Malachi, I'm with you bro. And then we get to chapter two. Yep, married people should be faithful to each other and the promise they made to God. Malachi, man, you're onto something. And we get to chapter three and go, whoa, 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 that's Old Testament. We can't be talking about that around here anywhere. No, no, no. Anything they said about money in the Old Testament, well, that's Old Testament stuff. That's not what Jesus said. Can I remind you, if you want to read the Bible that way, you're going to find yourself in trouble many, many days of your life. Next time you have a bad day and you're crying out to God, God, I need you. Your word says that you have plans for me, plans to prosper me, plans not for harm, plans for welfare. God's gonna look at you and go, y'all know Malachi's buddy Jeremiah in the Old Testament wrote that one. <laughs> not only is it bad practice, it's 
just not good theology to decide that anything that the Father said in the Old Testament is supposed to be removed. So, with that being said, let's jump in in chapter three and understand what God was saying. Before we do, I want to point out something that I think most anyone who's ever heard this has missed. Because most people don't make this point. I've never even made this point before. So, this is not as much about money. This is not as much about an Old Testament prophet saying what you've done wrong. The truth is, nowhere in the book of Malachi does God say, you've messed up, lightning bolts are on the way. The entire book of Malachi is grace. The whole book of Malachi is, please return to me. I'm Yahweh. I'm your God with a name. I made you for relationship. Please return to me. He tells the priest how to return. He tells the married people how to return. And then he begins this, return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And God gives them a strange answer. Will man rob God? Yet you are. You are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And God answers that. In your tithes and contributions. He goes on to even say, you are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me. And two things matter there. The first one is, it continues to show that God has never stopped believing the first tenth is his, his name on it set apart for him. He's not saying, well, you didn't give me anything. He's saying, you're stealing from me. It's my name on it. It's the part where you say, thank you, God, for being my provider. It's got my name on it. You're taking from me. He's like, that, that should be impossible. I'm a God in heaven. You're down on earth. And somehow you are figuring out how to actually be credited with stealing. But the second thing is he says, you're cursed with a curse. Now look, a lot of us, we freak out at that word because every time we think curse, we think Halloween, we think witches and little brooms, you know, black cauldrons and throwing spices in them and, and cackles and all that sort of stuff. Well, there are two words in the Bible that are very important to understand. One is bless and one is curse, blessing and cursing. Blessing is the promise of a positive consequence for doing what God asks. Cursing is simply the negative consequence for not doing what God asks. And God said something here that's very interesting. He says, you're already cursed and you don't even know it. You've been robbing from me and you've been living in such a way, you may even think your life is good. You may be making something. You have no clue of what it would be like if you were blessed. You've been having the devil steal from you. You're cursed with a curse. You don't even know. So he tells us how to fix it. Here's what he says. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And first of all, I read the Bible with a sense of humor. So I think it is absolutely hilarious that God puts the word full in front of a number. <laughs> he has to put the word, that was funnier than that. He has to put the word full in front of a math term that, that shouldn't be negotiated. Let, let me show you how silly this is. This would be like you going to a restaurant and asking the waiter to bring you a full cheeseburger. You have no reason to do that. You would never do that. The only reason you would look at the waiter and say, today I'd like you to bring me a full cheeseburger is if that waiter has a reputation for keeping a few bites for himself along the way. <laughs> well, it turns out humanity has a reputation for keeping a little for themselves along the way. God actually has to say, bring the full one-tenth into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And so again, we're teaching this as though you have never heard it. You've never been to church in your life. If you have never been to church, if this is a new idea, when God says my house, he's referring to the place where they identify him on the earth, meaning a place where he's worshiped, a place where people can come and find out about who he is, a place where people can come and get needs met. That's why he says, bring the full tithe that there may be food 
in my house. What does he mean by food in his house? He means spiritual food and he means natural food. Spiritual food, like correct teaching on how to obey God, how to follow God, how to honor God. Pastoral care where someone is praying with you and walking you through a difficult time. Someone to be there for you on a bad day, someone to celebrate with you on a good day. Natural food, meaning help when you're going through a tough financial time. Or helping do something very practical in your life. Doing outreaches that make Jesus famous in the city. That's what he means by food, spiritual food and natural food. And the reality is God knew something. If there's going to be food in this house, his people have to put it there. It's just that simple. No one else is gonna put food in God's house if the people who love God don't do it. If there's gonna be food in God's house, God's people have to put it there. And this is really cool because we loved part two about being generous that said we get to reveal an invisible God to a visible world. We're, we're the conduit of God's blessings where we're also the provision for God's house. And so although the first reason for tithing is to honor God and say thank you for your goodness to me, it also meets an incredible need and that is to put food in God's house. Look, maybe you've heard this saying before, what Jesus did for you is free. Reaching our world isn't. What Jesus did for you is free. Reaching our world isn't. What we mean by that is Jesus died on the cross for you. Forgiveness is free. Salvation, eternal life, it's a gift. The Bible calls it a gift. You can do nothing to earn that. All you can do is say, thank you, Jesus. That's it. But telling the entire world about that, now that's another story. Matter of fact, as crazy as it is, because all we do here at this place is talk about what Jesus has done for everybody for free, and Dominion Energy sends us a bill for this every single month for the air conditioning, the lights, and they just keep doing it. And then we keep calling Dominion Energy every month, but we're only talking about what Jesus did for free. So it should be free to talk about what Jesus did for free, right? And I'm joking, we don't call Dominion Energy. But I hope you get the point. Let me tell you a call I really did make. This is a true story. When we were in another building and we were outgrowing that and, and it was crazy and kind of like this service right here today and we wanted to get this building and turn it from a tire warehouse into a place where we could worship, uh, the building was actually being inherited from someone else. And, and so I called this person, I got their number, I literally called them up and said, hey, here's the deal. Um, this is an inheritance coming to you, meaning you've never had this, you don't have it, so imagine if you never had it. Imagine if you just donated it to us, the riches in heaven that you could have and your financial life would not change one bit. Guess how that call went? And they're even an elder in a church somewhere and they still made us pay for this building. Look, here's the reality, God knew. Because it was true thousands of years ago, if there was gonna be food in God's house, God's people had to put it there. That reality will never change, never. And so God says, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Remember, he's following along. You've been robbing me, you're cursed with a curse. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there'll be food in my house and put me to the test. This is the only place in all of scripture, the only subject in all of scripture, the only one verse in the entire Bible where God says, you can test me. See if I'll prove myself to do what I say I'll do. If you've ever read the rest of the Bible, it reads very, very simply. I am God, do it. I'm just telling you that's how it reads, if you've ever read it. I know every other Sunday I try to make it sound really nice, but that's kind of the moral of the story. I'm God, do it. But this one he says, 
I'll let you test me. Now think about this. If God's willing to let us test us in this area, and Jesus talked about this more than anything else, I think it's because they knew the pull of greed and money and stuff on the human heart. I think they knew it better than we do today. I think that's why we're doing this series. I think it's important. We do in part one, guard against greed. Part two, we begin to be more generous. Part three, we have to honor God. We have to show who he is, not only in the way we sing our songs, but in our finances. So put you to the test. What is that, God? He says, see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. A blessing until there is no more need. That equals abundance. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Again, farmer language, but what he's saying is I'm going to bless your ability to work your job and to do well and your health and, and take care of you. Because he also said something really important. There's a devourer out there coming after you. The Bible tells us the devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And so earlier when God says you are cursed with a curse, what he meant by that? The negative consequence is, if you're going to rob from me, I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to remove my hand of protection. And I'm going to let you experience what it's like to have someone rob from you. Because that's the whole reason the devil is upon the earth, is to be after my people. And what God is saying is, I will come back and get in between you and the devil. If you return to me, I'll return to you. Now, I want you to understand something. Every single week, I stand up here and try to help you get the devil out of some part of your life. That's the secret, moral behind it. That's, that's it. One week I might be talking about getting the devil out of your marriage. One week I might be talking about getting the, the devil out of something in your thinking. Today I just want to help you get the devil out of your finances. Because I assure you, God's got something better. So, the response for us today is very, very simple. And that is simply to honor God with the tithe. To bring the full tenth into his house to honor him as our provider, to say, thank you, God. Now, as I say that, I realize a lot of you are still gonna say, that's tough, 10%'s a lot. And I've had a lot of people over the years try to say, well, Jimmy, it's not about the number, it's about the heart, a heart of gratitude, showing God what he means to us. And to those people, I always say, so what number reflects your heart? See, the truth is, I personally thank God he said 10. Because if, if we actually had to show up and offer God something from our lives to show how much it means to us that Jesus died on the cross in our place, that God takes care of us every day, that God gave us life, that God provides for us, I don't know about you, but 10 seems like we're getting off pretty easy. I think everybody here knows the right answer. Everything, everything. That would be the right answer. You have to give everything. And it's still not enough to show the value of Jesus, right? So just imagine it this way, if you'll allow for a moment, pretend I'm not preaching and I'm a movie director and, and we're watching a, a scene together. And, and imagine as we've seen, there are always some kind of floods taking place and flash floods. And I just saw an article this morning about that happening again. If you could imagine someone trying to cross a bridge, they think they've got time. They see the water rising, but then suddenly this river just out of nowhere just rises up, completely overtakes the bridge. And fortunately, there are some bystanders and 
and, and they figure out how to do some things. Maybe the, the bystander had a Jeep and one of those little chain things on the front of the Jeep, whatever you call that. And, and, and so they managed to, to keep the guy from going over the edge in his car as the water is rising and rising. The fire department shows up and, and everybody comes and, and you can just see the lights flashing everywhere. And there are TV cameras showing up and the lights from the camera crew and everything. And the, the situation is overwhelming and it's, it's, it's frantic. They've only got moments. And they managed to pull this guy out of the car right before his car finally does go over the side of the bridge and then is crushed by the trees and the, the pressure of the water. And he looks and he sees that that would have been his future. He sees his whole life flash before his eyes. And if you can imagine, he turns to them to say thank you and he pulls out his wallet. And he begins to thumb through some cash. And he goes past 100, past some 50s, past some 20s, and he pulls out a five. Well, that'd be really sad, wouldn't it? I'm not sure if that says that he values his life less or what they did for him less. We all know the way that movie scene should have ended is he's standing there shaking and trembling from the experience and the shock of what he just went through as he's looking at his car completely submerged and destroyed and he's looking at these people who just risked their lives in this flood water to save him. He, he begins to just, he does grab his wallet and he throws it at him, whatever, whatever. Hey, but what are your kids' names so I can buy them Christmas gifts? Hey, could you come over to my house Saturday? My wife will cook you dinner. Hey, can I help you paint your house? Can I mow your lawn? What can I do because of what you've done for me? Nothing, there, there won't be enough. What can I do? We know that's the way that should play out. So personally, I say, thank God he said 10. And if you can imagine, because I know you are following this very well. Imagine that first bystander, the one that had the chain and the Jeep. As he turns to him and says, here, here, take, take my wallet, take it all. Take everything. And the bystander says, it's okay, man. What I just did for you, I did out of the goodness of my heart. It's just who I am. And the truth is, your money doesn't work where I live. But I tell you what you can do. You can take some of that and you give it to these firemen over here and they will be able to keep doing for other people what they just did for you. And I'm gonna count that as thanks to me because your money just doesn't work where I am. Y'all got that one? So what we want to do is help you if you wanna take that step of faith. If it's new for you, if it's difficult, God says, bring the full tithe. I want you to know how hard that is. Uh, when I first heard this teaching, I was not young. I grew up going to church, but I did not hear this in church when I was young. I heard it when I was in my 20s. My wife and I, we were newly married and pastor taught on tithing and I thought that's the craziest thing. I've never heard that. But once we realized and agreed, that's what the Bible says. I went that week and I got a giving statement from our church and I got my most recent pay stub. And even though I'm educated in South Carolina, I was able to know that the only difference in those two numbers should be where the decimal point is by like one digit, right? Y'all got that? And they weren't even close. And my wife and I made a decision that day that we've never turned back on for the rest of our lives. And that is we were gonna write a check to make up the difference, period, just done. And I say that not to brag, because that's not the point. But I want you to know two things. Number one, I don't tithe because I'm a pastor. Because I wasn't a pastor when I started tithing. I tithe because of what Jesus did for me and how God provides for me. But also I want you to know, I understand how hard it is. Because at that point in my life, we were a single income family and I was a public school teacher. And I'm thinking, give 
they pay me like 30% of what I deserve. I mean, like, eh, no way, how are we gonna live? But we decided to take a very hard step of faith. We have never looked back and God has always been good. I wanna encourage you to do the same. So what we do here at Grace Life, it's an idea we stole from another church with permission. Uh, and that is to help you take a step of faith. And it's called the 90 day tithing challenge. You can text 90 day to the number they're putting on the screen right now, or you can go to our website or app at any time. And you can choose to sign up for the 90 day tithing challenge. You don't even have to sign up today. You can still text that and you can choose to do it later after you pray about it. But here's what happens. You put the date when you're starting. We'll be praying for you by name every day. I'll send you some little emails and things to encourage you along the way. And at the end of the 90 days, if you don't feel God did exactly what he said, which is rebuke the devourer and pour down blessing until there's no more need, we give you every penny back. Period. Every penny back. We don't ask questions. You don't have to meet with a pastor. You don't have to show us your budget or your receipts because this is between you and God. I'm not the one that said test me. God told you to test him. This is between you and God. And what I'm gonna close with today is the next step of that. This is between you and God because it was God's heart. When God said, bring the full tithe that there may be food in my house, God's heart has always been that any giving you do is through your church, not to your church. Your church should be making a difference in providing spiritual and natural food upon the earth. And so I wanna close by just sharing with you what has happened here at Grace Life the first seven months of this year, because I want you to be able to not only have faith in God, I want you to hopefully have some trust in your church leadership here. So here's some cool stuff for us to celebrate. First of all, as of last Sunday, 175 people have made Jesus their king here at Grace Life Church. Come on, can we celebrate that one? And because 175 people have made Jesus their king and loved worshiping here and have found a spiritual family, they have decided to continue worshiping here, which is why our in-person attendance has gone up 31% in seven months, and it's why I need 150 of you to choose another service time. <laughs> and in addition to that, I don't have time to teach it, but it's also in the Bible that God tells his ministers to tithe from the tithes they receive. And so from day one, Grace Life has always tithed. That means a minimum of 10% of whatever is given here, we can't use for us. Not for you, not for me, not for the building, not for staff, but it has to go to the hurting world around us. And so, so far this year, with the help of our legacy team, we've exceeded 10% and currently we have given $244,981 to missions just in seven months so far this year. So again, my hope in this message today was to bring clarity if this is a new topic or to bring healing if you've ever heard it used for someone else's gain. I hope that you believe Grace Life is a church you can trust and I hope that your faith to take a step towards God has been increased. That was my goal. Let me pray for us. God, we ask you to give us the faith to stand very differently in this world this would be one of the biggest differences between us and people who do not worship you, is to put you first in our finances at a number that is difficult to do. So God, I pray that your grace would be abundant for people who are trying to take that step today. God, I, I pray that you would show yourself to be true to your word. It's been my experience. It's been the experience of many. I pray for anyone who is going to take this step that you would show up in their lives. God, I pray that the needs of your house would be met upon the earth, that we can make a difference on planet earth. 
And I pray that the devil would be rebuked and thrown out of every one of our homes, our finances, and your provision for us. And if you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. As we were saying, salvation is free. Eternal life is free. Because Jesus came and he died in your place. When his blood was shed, it paid for your sins and mine. And yet you and I still need to begin that relationship with him at some point. And if you've never done that, I want to help you do that right here, wherever you are. Simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you help me celebrate with them, everybody?